Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. This is Let's Talk About It with Janelle King. So did the red wave hit? Um, Where does Trump stand in the party? What happened to Herschel Walker? Let's talk about Rhino versus MAGA. (laughs) And where do we go from here? So these are all questions that I have heard in some shape, form, or fashion ever since the 2022 midterm results finalized. And when I say finalized, I mean... Even after the, re- the runoff, um, just when everything settled and the dust is still actually settling as I'm recording this. Um, but we have a lot of questions that need to be answered. So let's talk about it. All right. So it's no secret that myself and my husband are, should I say, intimately <laughs> connected to the U.S. Senate race. Um My husband ran for U.S. Senate in the primary. He was on the Republican ticket, Kelvin King. And I will have to say that running for office, having been a political and someone who's worked in particularly Georgia politics for over 10 years, was like that final step I needed in order to kind of get a whole entire grasp of what this political space is like. You see, I started as an intern in grassroots and working with candidates and pretty much being the person in the room that no one really paid attention to, to kind of rising through the ranks, I guess you can say, working on campaigns, um, went on to later become the deputy state director of the party. And so the one thing that I hadn't experienced, having worked in so many different areas of the political space, particularly in Georgia, was the candidate experience. I knew what it was like to help candidates, but I didn't understand the candidate experience. So when Kelvin ran for office, it definitely was a glimpse behind the veil, behind the veil. (laughs) So it was great. I honestly think it was the best thing that ever happened to us politically. And what, what made it so good was when Kelvin looked at me and said, I wanna visit every single county in the state of Georgia, I want to touch ground in every single county in the state of Georgia. And I want to talk to people from every single county in the state of Georgia, people who currently live in these counties. And so we got with a team with the team and we said, "Okay, when is the best time to do this? And they said August. And I said, well, it's 159 counties. We're going to do it all in one month. (laughs) And Kelvin was like, we can do it. So (laughs) we didn't have a plan together, but he said we can do it, so we can do it. So we put the plan together, and we did. We hit every single county in 29 days. It gave me everything that we needed to know about this state, and I'm so glad we decided to do it in 29 days because there wasn't a lot of interaction in the political space that could have turned off people or changed perspectives. So we were able to get a glimpse of Georgia and Georgians from a very 
com- compact, condensed space of time, and we got it from all over the state. During the tour, we, we decided that we wanted to stop at small businesses. As small business owners, we, we really have a heart and a love for the small business community. So we decided to hit small businesses. And yes, we promoted that we would be there. But the best thing that happened while we were there is that we were able to interact with tour attendees, but also patrons patrons who were just happened to be in the restaurant or in the store or at the feed shop and the hardware store and and was able to talk to us and we would ask them questions and they would ask us questions and we had a really good dialogue going back and forth with people who we had never met who have no reason to not be honest with us and in a lot of cases they hadn't pledged their political allegiance to the point where it was scary to tell anyone what they felt or how they felt about things so i thought it was great so we spent about an hour and a half in every single county and kelvin would give like a five maybe at the most 10 minute speech and then for the rest of that time it was all question and answer and we heard about it all from veteran services to healthcare to the economy to foreign affairs to QAnon to marijuana use, whether it's medical or recreational, race relations, censoring Republicans, social media. I mean, the list can go on and on and on. But most of our information can be kind of put into those categories. So the best part about it all is that we weren't talking to political junkies. We weren't talking to commentators. We weren't talking to elected officials. We were talking to we the people. We were talking to the people, the actual voters. And after working in Georgia politics for over a decade, as I stated earlier, with a primary focus on grassroots engagement, I heard something that was extremely alarming during this tour, and this was in August of 2021. I heard that there were other concerns than what we were talking about. There was very little conversation about the 2020 election. Yeah, there was a few people that would bring it up here and there, but when we got to the nitty gritty of conversation and what was really concerning people, didn't hear a lot about that, didn't hear anything about the January 6th um, insurrection or whatever you want to call it. We heard very little about the MAGA war against rhinos. I mean, virtually the complete opposite from what every other Republican was talking about at that time. And again, these weren't political junkies. These weren't people who go to GOP meetings every Saturday and is extremely active. This is majority of our voting base who doesn't want to be that active because they have other things they want to be concerned about and they want to be able to rely on us to do that part for them and then give them the adequate information that's needed. So when the primary was over and we were looking to see what the general election message would be, I thought we had a chance. I thought we had a chance to see this red wave show up because we started talking about the economy and inflation. That seemed to be a really good topic. That was something that I felt was connected to a lot of the conversations that we were having while on the tour. But I didn't think we would be able to maintain the momentum, but I knew that we could. But it would require us to stay on message, for one. (laughs) 
And the thing that Democrats are really good at is distracting Republicans. We saw this happen during the anniversary of the Afghanistan debacle when they decided to raid Mar-a-Lago. Well, they knew that Republicans would lose sight of Afghanistan and now focus on Trump. And, and it worked. Everyone started talking about Trump. No one really talked about the fact that we were on like one year into the Afghanistan from the Afghanistan debacle. And this would be something we should definitely talk about. It highlights the failed decisions from this administration and the silence from Senator Warnock. We could have easily took that and said, hey, you say you care about people. You say that you are a pastor who loves everyone and thinks that we should be focused on the people. But you didn't care about the Americans that we left behind, not, at least not enough to say something because you're not in the executive branch. So you could have said something. But nope, nope, nope. Didn't say anything there. But the fact that we weren't able to differentiate ourselves from the left adequately was a problem because we talked so much about what was going on that was wrong that we forgot to provide solutions. Going back to my experience on the tour, I listened to my husband speak almost every single day for 408 days. I think he did about 390 per, like interactions and in that's not including fundraising or media. So just hearing him give a stump speech over the course of 408 days, almost every single day. And every speech was unique, although the core message remained the same. But I watched him hone his message over time. I watched him just become stronger and stronger. And you see, Kelvin comes from a very strong business background with a, mil with a very military discipline that, that, he, that permeates through everything that he does. So in other words, he's not much of a talker. <laughs> he really doesn't. He's not a talker. He's a doer. That's what he was trained to do. He believes in execution and solutions. So no wonder the, my favorite moment came when he was giving a speech and all of a sudden he said, Elba Island. And we were like, okay, where is he going with this? So during the speech, it seemed like it came out of thin air. But what he said was that there's a Kinder Morgan plant that is here in Georgia. And if we can fire them up and get them going to start producing natural gas or, or converting natural gas, he was saying that maybe they can help us when it comes to the, the crisis that we were seeing when it comes to gas and all this other stuff that was happening. And it was that. It, it, was, a, it was an idea. It was something tangible. But what was more important is that it felt like a solution. See, we understood that the best way to differentiate yourself and to be able to get on offense was to give voters a plan, something that they can support, that they feel, that makes them feel connected or sometimes disconnected from the candidate or the party, which is what a lot of our swing voters was looking for. They didn't want to be lumped into a category of a Trump supporter or not Trump supporter or a progressive or not a progressive. They just wanted to vote for people that had good ideas. Very simple. At least it seems simple. But that wasn't unique. You know, it sounded like it was just common sense to us. But as, I, as, as the general election became closer and closer and closer, I noticed that Brian Kemp, Raphael Warnock, and our new labor commissioner, Bruce Thompson, were the three that I felt that actually said something that I thought could be translated into a solution. For example, whether you agree with Warnock or not, when he released the insulin cap option, that's, that's debatable. 
right? Some people thought it was a terrible idea. Some people thought it was great. I talked to Republicans who have diabetes, and they said that that was wonderful. They thought it was a great idea. It felt like a solution to people who are struggling with diabetes. It was something they felt was tangible and that made sense. Much like Bruce Thompson, who ran for our labor commissioner. I remember his stump speeches because he was often on the tour, I mean, on the campaign trail with us. And he would start with his personal story, which was very captivating, by the way. But then he would proceed to list off his plans. All the plans that he had for our labor department that I thought were great ideas. I actually became more attached to that than the person. So, just so you know, we're in good hands when it comes to a labor commissioner. Congratulations to Bruce. So, I immediately knew that the red wave was not going to come, or if it was, it was certainly not going to be as strong as expected. Because, and, and every single time I heard a media personality talk about it, and they would say, oh, it's coming, and we'll make jokes, and everything was like, oh, the red wave is coming. It almost made me cringe because it kind of felt like we were setting ourselves up for a big letdown because I just didn't feel the momentum nationwide. When I talked to people who were not political junkies, they did not have the same level of enthusiasm that we had. We kept both sides of the aisle kept talking about saving democracy. But you're saying this to a lot of voters who have no clue what you're talking about because they're just not that engaged. So being able to message to them is key going forward. And as I as I began to feel like there wasn't a lot of momentum going with Georgia, it was pretty clear that we were looking at having a split ticket. Pretty early, that was something that was being said in this general election, that, we're, that there's going to be a split ticket. And I'm certain that no matter what side of the aisle you're on, I think we're forgetting a key factor. And that's that in order to win elections, you have to put the needs of the people first. And so when I saw that there was going to be a split ticket and they were saying, oh, I think there's going to be a lot of voters going to vote for Brian Kemp and vote for Warnock... I can't say I was surprised. So I kind of feel like we're now in these political gangs that you, I used to have to be jumped into, but now it's almost like you're going to get jumped out because God forbid you say something that each side doesn't like, they're going to make sure that you're kicked out. So, or at least try to. But I feel like we're in, we, we, we are in these political gangs, like the Bloods and the Crips or, you know, the red team versus the blue team. You know, where the people, the voters, (laughs) are ignored and that candidates no longer really matter. And what only matters is whether you are red or blue. Well, what about the purple people? I have a friend of mine who I laugh at because she constantly reminds me that she's a purple person. Now, personally, I think she calls herself that because she has this like strong affinity and love for Prince. But that's just me. So I, but I, I think that's a little bit of it. But either way, <laughs> she tends to agree with me a lot. But then when there are times when we do disagree, oftentimes we're disagreeing about the worldview pertaining to different issues, not whether we're right or wrong. For example, before, I think it was right after the primary, there was a PAC 
who decided that they wanted to hand out gas cards in the black community, or I should say in in low-income minority communities, gas cards, and they felt like that was a great idea on behalf of Herschel Walker. Well, I thought it was a terrible idea, and I remember having brunch with my friend, and I said, this is an absolute terrible idea. It's a terrible way to start this off. It goes against everything we stand for as Republicans because we are the teach you the fish group. We're not the hand you fish. <laughs> that's not us. That's that's complete opposite. It's complete opposite of what we've been telling people as black conservatives when we go into these communities because we actually go into the communities. We're not telling people that we think that you should be, you should depend on any organization government or anything to take care of you we want to empower you to take care of yourself that's the message that we've been saying well she thought that it was a fabulous way to get Herschel's name out and to basically remove him from the Republican stigma however we saw this situation we threw two different sets of lenses that was a perfect example of like being able to disagree on a topic, but doesn't mean that someone's right or someone's wrong. It's just we saw it through two different perspectives. Okay, so getting back on track. I saw the red wave being stunted by out-of-touch politicians. I felt like there was political people who were working who just didn't know what was going on. We only seemed to be able to see our way as the right way. Then came the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and everything got convoluted. Because then we can no longer just retreat to our sides and try to like do a tug-of-war game to see how many people we can pull on our side. But it became a little convoluted because the big question was, well, where does the pro-choice Republicans go now? And where does the staunch pro-life Democrats go? It really put the focus back on the middle. And then they all fell into the middle. And then we began to evaluate every candidate. And unfortunately... There were way too many hypocritical situations surrounding Mr. Walker, and I believe that that's why we saw a drop-off of support going into November 8th. It caused the middle, or the majority of the middle, to shift towards Warnock a bit, or they simply skipped the entire vote, period. And whenever I brought this up, whether it be in the Georgia gang, whether it be personal conversations or media interviews, there was always somebody who was just like, you need to be a team player. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what better way to be a team player than to tell you now that what you're doing is not working? I don't know, but maybe I'm just foolish for that, but we'll see. Maybe not, looking at the results. You see, the lack of solutions forced the voting base to look at everything else. We had no choice. I mean, what else can we point to? What I know is that the grassroots is constantly looking for talking points, messaging, something that can be consistent so that they can go out and fight on the front lines talk to their neighbors, talk to people in the grocery store. And when you equip people with one message, which is vote Republicans so we can win the majority in the Senate, that is not a winning message when you're debating someone in the grocery store. 
Because they look at you like you have no values, you have no principles, and you don't even know what you're talking about. It doesn't work in the grocery store. Now it will work in the private meeting with a bunch of politicals. Yeah, because overall, we kind of understand it a little bit better. But it doesn't work with the everyday voter. So there was nothing grounding the base to the party or to the candidate. I mean, it used to be about values and principles, but just but not this year. But it used to be. So now, what what really happened when it came to Mr. Walker? Well, I understand that I have more information than most, and that's something that and it's a huge problem that I think that we got to discuss in just a few, because I I, I just it, I shouldn't have more information. Every the, the voters should have more information. If anything, they should have all the information so they can make an adequate decision. But anyway, I know that I had a lot more information than a lot of people. And so I don't want this to be anything that makes anybody who supported or who didn't or who feels differently or is hearing things that they didn't know before. I don't want you to be to feel bad because it's our fault. It's our fault that you have these top consultants and people who are telling people that, you know, you can't share truth and facts during a primary. The party has got to stop that. We're so afraid of the Democrats using things against us that we won't even allow adequate information to come out so that we can make the right decision. But overall, I honestly believe the campaign was doomed from the start. I really do. There was just too much to overcome. You know, to add fuel to the fire, you know, Herschel did not live in Georgia. A lot of people had a problem with that. He hadn't lived here in over 30 years, which is why I think this is important, because people want to support someone who they feel they know and who they feel they are connected to. And I already can hear everyone saying, but he's Herschel Walker. He's the greatest football player ever to come through Georgia. He went to UGA. He's amazing. Blah, 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 blah. But you never considered the data. I kept saying this over and over and over again. Millennials make up the largest voting block to date. Whether you agree or not, whether you want them to or not, they do. And that's ages 25 to 40. I'm 38 years old today. Yep, December 13th is my birthday. But I was born in 1984. Do you know what that means? That means that most of the largest voting bloc that exists today have zero recollection of Herschel Walker. Like, I can't even, I, I, have, I don't have a picture, I don't have an image, I don't have any, like, there's nothing that makes me think of him. I don't know. And then... Not to mention, I know, I know, I know you want to say, well, yeah, there's a lot of students at UGA. Well, for one, it's not a huge minority population, so we'll get back to that. But then two, yeah, but it's totally different when you're a student, and it, 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 there's a total difference between UGA students today and like super fans. You know, there's a huge difference between loving plaques on a wall and images in locker rooms having actually sat in the stands and cheered him on those are real emotional connections that this group didn't didn't have so what Warnock knew is that he had the greatest opportunity of winning if he was able to maintain and grow a little bit the black vote 
and increase turnout with millennials. We saw both of this both 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 of these things happened during the runoff. There was an increase in younger votes, younger younger voters in the runoff. That was unique. So the black vote was up for grabs, up for grab. And I and I know it was, we knew it was because there's a lot of questioning that's happening around things and Governor Kemp's race showed us that. I mean, he obtained more of the black vote than Herschel Walker did. But he did it because he understood to that the way to do it is to connect and go straight to the people. He was also, Governor Kemp, was also the only Republican to show up at the Black Media Forum. So there was a forum that was hosted by all the black media stations, and he was the only one that showed up. And he did a great job. He didn't get booed down. He didn't get, you know, yelled at. He actually did a really good job. And he wasn't afraid to go into highly Democratic communities. I found out just the other day that Herschel never came to the Cab GOP, never showed up in DeKalb County. But there are Republicans that are there. And there are conser- there are minority conservatives, and there are minorities who don't want to be on either side of the aisle, so they're willing to listen to both. So that worked in Governor Kemp's favor, and he was really, particularly with black men, he was able to increase that vote. Somehow, Mr. Walker's team was convinced that his skin color alone was enough. Now, I did hear that his wife according to some campaign staff, that Herschel's wife did um, expect to obtain 50% of the black vote, which is, we'll get to that. But I did hear that she really wanted him to do more minority engagement and do more engagement in the, in the community. And, and, and there's a reason why I'm harping on this, because I think it's extremely important to talk about this. For one, 50 percent was too super high. So, you know, that that just wasn't going to happen. I mean, that's more than any other Republican has gotten in the history of the state. Um, not quite sure where that confidence was coming from. I'm assuming, again, that it was because of that he was black. I don't know. But considering the fact that Democrats typically pull 28 to 30 percent of the black community and, and the community makes up about 33 percent in the state, that was a bit of a stretch. So but it also shows that there's a lack of understanding around this community. And I felt like it was important to kind of highlight something that I really want us to focus in on and know going forward. And that's that in the Republican world, we call, you know, um, putting up a black candidate or focusing in on a Latino candidate or, or anyone's race or gender or whatever that focus is. We call it identity politics, playing identity politics. Well, what they call it is representation. So now which word or which term do you think is going to be more effective when you go into the community? Let me make sure that you are represented or let's not play identity politics. Sorry, terrible messaging. Because when you think of black liberals, you have to understand that there's, there's a bit of a difference between black liberals and white liberals. Because I do believe because I've had these conversations, that white liberals do play a more of identity politics game. They do see it as as long as the person's black, as long as the person's Indian or Latino, then they can go speak to their group and we go speak to our group 
and then we you know it'll, it'll somehow work out but that's not mm, well while that may be true in some cases in most cases it's very different so when you talk if you talk to black liberals they see representation as a way to gain influence and to be seen as equal and here's the thing no matter whether you're Republican or Democrat, if you're a part of the black community, having influence and being seen as equal is it's obviously something that both sides of the aisle, no matter which side you're on, but that's something that the community, all of us want. And what's frustrating to black conservatives is the notion that we can't want the same thing. Because we do. We want the same thing. However, we believe that it comes through personal values and taking care of your home first. We still believe that hard work pays off, although there are challenges that we have to face, and there are some. there's still challenges that, that still exist, mostly because of narratives and stereotypes and mostly because of all this division and Black Lives Matter creating all this division and, you know, picking winners and losers. I mean, we know that all of that stuff, it, it feeds into the problem. But... We also understand that we have come so far and that if you just work hard, you, you can obtain. So, but black liberals believe that it's not happening fast enough in their own personal lives, so we must force it. And this is where we split parts, part ways. This is where black liberals and black conservatives part ways. Because we don't believe, as black conservatives, that you have to force feed anything or do you have to play these silly games but we do believe that in order to say that we are um, a party that's open to everyone we need to see everyone I mean that's just common sense you can't just say that we're open to everyone but yet we only run white candidates or we only run men or we only run certain types of candidates like you just can't do that it makes it really hard for anyone to believe what you're saying if they don't actually see it being done. So, yeah, it does matter. And it does change the conversation. It takes the focus off of certain things, certain topics. I mean, what better person to represent the party when it comes to talking about immigration and the border than someone who was formerly an immigrant or, you know, part of that community? It does help. It does. As black conservatives, like I said, we, we believe that our party has the right values and is focused on fundamental on the fundamentals that are needed to address the common concerns that everyone has in their community. But it's going to take someone who looks like the community, as I stated, but someone who they feel is on the inside with the party that can share the virtues and create trust in the community and placing a black man before them and saying, here's who we have for you. Here's someone that we think understands you. However, he is represents every stereotype that we don't want to be associated with. It sends a completely different message and it sends the message that we are exactly what they think we are, whether we want it to or not. And again, what I'm saying is I'm giving truths, facts, so that we don't make these same mistakes going forward. Cultural awareness is no longer an option. 
we do have to be culturally aware. We can't make comments and say things that 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 seemingly makes you feel like you're avoiding something that's happening, but really what you're doing is you're you're you're, you're assisting and you're aiding like I said in the problem especially when it comes to winning elections in the future because I want to win elections as a Republican as a conservative I need our party to be in leadership roles we carry our the virtues the the the, the principles the values the way we see business we need it so president trump I need President Trump to make a decision, and I need him to make this decision quickly. You're either going to be a kingmaker or you're going to be the king, because you can't be both. The problem is, you know, a kingmaker is supposed to have the best interest of the system in mind, because he doesn't actually want to be the king, but he wants to make sure there are people in place that keeps things running effectively, that can get things done effectively. Those who typically become the king, a lot of times they start out as a kingmaker. They're behind the scenes. They're helping. They're doing other things. And then people ask them because of the decisions they've made or decisions that they've supported. They'll ask them if they can now run or do something else. But the people place you at the helm, not yourself. Like You don't place yourself there. The king who plays the game of a kingmaker will find it extremely hard because it's hard to to not put your own plans and your own perspectives in front of everything else if you are the kingmaker who really wants to be the king. I mean, you're going to naturally kind of work your way around to make things better for you. And I believe that Trump made some moves and some decisions that he felt would suit him best later. I don't think he counted the cost of what it would do right now. And as a result of that, I'm hearing a lot of people who want to move on. Now, we we have yet to determine if that's a good thing, because President Trump did so much when he was in office that was positive. But as of right now, there are people who are willing to forgo that and say, hey, I want to see if someone else can be just as great. And I think it has a lot to do with how the moves were made and it just didn't feel like it was in the best interest of the party and to my MAGA my fellow MAGA friends your passion your vigor your attention to voters is infectious it's extremely appreciated but you have to understand and I say this in the words I mean use the words of one of my dear friends that you must win people with a little sweet tea. (laughs) And what she means is, in other words, it's easier to win the hearts and minds of others with kind words rather than anger and screaming and fussing and calling everyone who doesn't agree with what you say a rhino and trying to kick them out of a party that they didn't have to get your permission to come into. I mean, all of that, it just causes people to want to stay away from you. It, 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 it drives people away. But the truth is, we need each other. It is just so much easier to win people with kindness. And every person is not a rhino who doesn't agree with your method of getting things done. 
I often hear a lot of MAGA Republicans saying things like, our party needs to take lessons from the Dems, that, you know, they support their candidates no matter what. But that's not really true. Because when the ultra progressives wanted Bernie Sanders and the corporate Dems came in and said no in more ways than one, <laughs> they, they definitely worked that one to get him out. I just knew AOC and the squad was going to come for Pelosi's head. Like, I knew they were going to unseat her, not vote her in as a as speaker as soon as they could. Well, that didn't happen. They voted with the quote-unquote establishment. And there were a lot of progressives that I listened to. Cause I, listened to I listened to the left more than I listened to our side because I know our side. But I like to listen to them. But there were a lot of super progressives that I was listening to who were so angry with the squad because they did not knock Pelosi out of that seat. But they didn't. They, they voted with the establishment because they knew that splitting the party publicly was not going to be productive for them. Now, I wish they had split it because we all know that there is a split. <laughs> and I plan to drive that wedge deeper and deeper and deeper because it is there. And as long as we can get on offense, we can highlight that. And I do think that it will split them up because they need to. They are already split. I mean, I believe there's the People's Party is getting ready to get started. And, you know, they're working on that. And that's the progressives wanting to run their own candidate. And, you know, so they're already there. But you see, those who are not on board of the MAGA train, sometimes it's because success just looks different in their lens. They see success as winning elections and providing hope for others. And that is some, some there, there's a lot of quote unquote rhinos that I've talked to who have said that. And I'm saying, I'm using rhinos in the term of like anybody who's not MAGA because that's typically what it has become, which I think is silly. But that is what it has become. And there's not enough tweets or shouting matches that will change their minds. They want to win elections, period. And being upset without progress amounts to absolutely nothing. So, I still have your back, MAGA. To my establishment, <laughs> quote unquote, or AKA the rhinos, <laughs> kicking the MAGA voters out of the party is not an option. While I said that the MAGA group can't win on their own, we can't win without them. Those who see themselves outside of the MAGA group, because I don't consider myself to be part of the MAGA group because I just, I don't, I, I don't agree with some of the stuff that they say, but I agree with most of it. So but I don't want to put myself in it because... I'm pretty sure they will have issues with some of the things I'm saying, especially right now. But what I understand is that we can't win elections without both sides of the party. And why would you want to? Our party has discussed expanding the tent for years. And these new voters that have come in as a result of President Trump is part of that expansion. That is a positive thing. And guess what else? They're willing to be on the front lines. And I think that is commendable. I mean, what army would send all of their frontline soldiers home? It's not going to happen. They may not care about all the stuff that some of the more establishment Republicans care about. But their stuff matters, too. Like, election integrity, it does matter. 
It is a big deal. Preserving our Constitution, it matters. And most importantly, loving this country and loving the people in it matters. And I do feel that our MAGA voters have embodied those three things. And those three things are necessary. So I think we should listen more and disregard less <laughs> and be able and be open to having conversations with people who may not see it exactly the way you see it, but I'm pretty sure there's a way that we can connect. So lastly, what's next? I'm hopeful for the future. Warnock did not win in a landslide. So that means that, you know, we're, we're, we're definitely in a unique space here in the state. Only Kemp did that. He did win a landslide. The state right now, we are neck and neck. The country is neck and neck when it comes to Republican, Democrat, and our independent space. We, we're really close. And I'm excited about that. Maybe this generation, maybe my generation and beyond can now learn what it really means to be a patriot. This is not about the candidate. It's not about the party. It's about your personal freedoms. And maybe because we're at this space now where people are starting to look deeper and deeper into politics and look at both sides of the aisle and see what people are saying and becoming a little more engaged, maybe this is the start of us heading into having better conversations. Because, as I stated, this is about your personal freedoms. And it's about protecting those freedoms at all costs. It may look like, you know, standing up to the other side. Sometimes you might have to stand up to your own party and give some criticisms. It may look like rejecting the hottest new trend that might pop up because it puts the country in danger, a.k.a. TikTok. But... Or some of these other crazy apps and little things that they're calling everybody, causing everybody to kind of go into a, a, a frenzy over. And in some cases, it may look like running for office yourself. But whatever it looks like to you, be sure to participate. And participate with the country in mind. Not your side of the aisle. Participate with the country in mind. Look for solutions that are going to benefit the country. And I say this with confidence because I, I am a conservative because I believe in our solutions. I believe we have great ideas. And I believe we just present them without all the extra spin and trying to control other people that more people will agree. So we've talked about it. Now you go talk about it. If you haven't already, please follow, rate, share the podcast. Thank you so much. Listen each week at thepodcastpark.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen and subscribe. In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps $5 minimum balance required. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. 
The fan is ready for Brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.